Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. We've been in a series called 2020, uh, Discovering God's Will for Your Life. We've said it here at City Church, who you are and what you were created to be is not for you to decide, it is for you to discover. Because who you are and what you were created to do and who you're created to be is God-appointed, it is not self-assumed. So it's not something I decide, it's something I discover because it's something God decided a long time ago. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship. The word translated workmanship is the word poem. Where we get the word poem, it's poema, which means we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in. You know what that means? There is absolutely nothing about your life, about where you are, that is random or haphazard. Everything about your life is intentional and deliberate and strategic because God ordered it to be that way. Even in the seasons of uncertainty. Amen? Even in the seasons of uncertainty. And so we said last week, and it bears repeating, uh, that God has a plan, but he takes us through a process so that we can receive the promise And God can fulfill his purpose. I'll say that again. God has a plan, but then he takes us through a process. The reason he takes us through a process is so that we can receive the promise. The reason he takes us through a process is that sometimes he has to grow us into the size of the promise. So that we can be good stewards of the promise. But notice, notice. The promise and walking in the promise for my life personally is not the end game. God's end game is that you and I would walk in the promise, receive the promise so that he can fulfill his purpose. What that means is you receiving the promise of God is one piece of the puzzle. Because God has you and me in a place where we are a part of his big picture. And when I begin to walk in his promise for my life personally, his sovereign purpose begins to unfold and it begins to come together. So point number one, God has a plan. We're going to examine the life of Joseph to understand this a little bit better. We've chosen for our anchor text, Genesis chapter number 37, and we'll begin reading at verse five. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Genesis chapter number 37. And we'll pick up the narrative. Well, let's pick it up at verse 1. Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. We're introduced to this man named, this young man named Joseph. He is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And the 11th of 12 sons is Joseph. Now, the problem with this family, come on, it's holiday season now. (laughs) So some of y'all know how family stuff gets around this time of year. The problem with this family is that it was a lot like most of our families. Very imperfect. And might I even say dysfunctional. Because Jacob... Let me just tell you the circumstances into which Joseph was born so we could have somewhat of an appreciation of 
for what we're about to read in the text. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Jacob has a twin brother. But Jacob and Esau, even though they were twins, had this long-standing sibling rivalry. So one day, Jacob is out and about, and he comes to this town, he comes to this village, and he sees this beautiful young lady. And he sees this young lady, and he says, this is going to be my wife. Let me tell you how intense their love was. The scripture says that Jacob kissed Rachel and just started crying. No, I underemphasized it. He kissed her, and the scripture says he wept out loud. That's how deep that love was. In fact, his love for her was so deep that he said to her father, Laban, I'm going to work for this girl seven years. And after seven years, I will take her hand in marriage. Come on, there's a, there's a lesson in there for some of the single folk in the room this morning. What kind of work is he willing to put in for your hand in marriage? I could spend the rest of our time together right there. So at the end of seven years, at the end of seven years, at the end of seven years, on the night of the wedding, Laban had this idea. And Laban says, look, in, the, in Middle Eastern culture, the older sister gets married first. But that wasn't who Jacob wanted. Jacob wanted Rachel, the younger sister. So Laban plays the okey-doke on him, puts the veil on the older sister, and the older sister marries Jacob. Next morning when Jacob woke up, and Jacob... Like, hold up, that wasn't Rachel under the veil? That was Leah? The older sister with the lazy eye? Jacob said, I want my money back, Laban. And he worked seven more years. Seven more years for Rachel's hand in that. Are y'all with me? So listen now. Jacob's got two wives. Somebody say sister wives. Long before the show on TLC or wherever that is, it's in the Bible. Listen, if you want entertainment, just crack open the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and you will see drama unfold like you've never seen before. So yes, Jacob married to two wives. Loves one, despises the other. But the one he loves can't give him no children. But the one he hates is giving him son after son after son. Finally, I'm fast forwarding to the story. Finally, finally, God in his grace and mercy touches Rachel. And she's able to conceive and she has a child. And they name him Joseph. Now, naturally, because this is the son of the wife he loved, naturally, Joseph is going to play favorites. So this is where the story picks up. There's a whole lot of baggage 
long before Joseph showed up on the scene. And I would venture to say that there are some of us who were born into a whole lot of mess we had nothing to do with. That you and I somehow still have to navigate. Decisions and choices that preceded your birth. Bad decisions and bad choices that are now impacting you. And so here's Joseph who shows up into a dysfunctional family and now he's got to deal with it, but God's hand is on his life. Can I just say this? The call of God doesn't necessarily make life any easier. So so, so here's Joseph, and let's pick up the story in verse chapter 1. I mean, verse 1 of chapter 37. It says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Uh, What I omitted from the cliff notes I just shared with you is not only did Jacob have Leah and Rachel, He also had children by their servants. So Bilhah and Zilpah and their sons, they ain't even Leah's sons. Can you see all the foolishness and mayhem that's going on in Jacob's house? So here comes this 17-year-old man, 17-year-old boy, and notice what the scripture says. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, a couple of things are happening. Family dysfunctional. The father is playing favorites. And now Joseph, a tattletale. Not the best recipe for a happy family life. Are y'all with me? And so the story continues in verse 3. Now Israel which is also Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brother saw, listen to this, when when his brother saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This is brothers under the same roof, and your brothers despise you. Your brothers hate you and can't even say a kind word to you. And here's a 17-year-old young man who was about to experience the process of God because God has chosen him to fulfill his purpose. Because God often births purpose in the crucible of crisis. Listen, 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 listen. The problem with the church today is we want everything easy. If you want to watch a show, you just stream it. You don't have to wait no more. You just go on your phone or go on your iPad. You can watch whatever you want to watch when you want to watch it. And the problem with most of us in our response to God is we have become conditioned. We have been so conditioned to respond only to what is easy and convenient. Yet when God takes us through a process, he usually takes us through crisis in order to fulfill 
the promise. And that's why most people, when life gets a little bit hard and life puts a little bit of a squeeze on you, we start to say, well, where's God? Because we're so used to getting things on our terms when we want it, how we want it. Yet God says, I've got a plan for your life. But before you experience this plan, I'm going to take you through a process. And it's not going to be an easy one. And it's not going to be a comfortable one. And it's not going to be a convenient one. And notice what happens. Now Joseph had a dream at 17. Let me just pump the brakes there for a second. God speaks to teenagers. That's why at City Church we don't talk down to our teenagers. We speak up to them. We speak to their potential and we see God in them. We see God at work in them. In fact, we're going to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. And God entrusted the birth of the Messiah to a teenage mom. For those of us who are quick to dismiss our teenagers, God is about to entrust the future, the future of Israel, and much of the future of Israel, I mean Egypt, to a 17-year-old. And so God gives him a dream, and he tells his brother, and he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. Why does God take us through a process? Why does God take us through a process? Because again, God often has to grow us up into the size of the dream. God gave him the dream, but Joseph wasn't mature enough to handle the dream at 17. Because if he were mature enough, he would not have told the dream to brothers who despised him. Especially when the dream had to do with them kneeling and bowing to him. So listen to me, listen to me, City Church. When God takes us through a process, he takes us through a series of tests. Are you ready for the first test? The first test is the pride test. The pride test often comes right when God gives us the dream. That's the first thing he will test. Whether or not we can handle the size of the dream or whether we begin to cause the dream to be the source of our value and our identity. Most people here have a dream from God. And we think that our value is based on how big the dream is. That was Joseph's problem. God showed him, I'm going to do great things. I'm going to do amazing things through you. And the first thing he did was tell his brothers. You know why? Because one, he was naive, and two, David had a little bit of a streak of pride. And when the dream comes, God often takes us through the pride test. Last week, we had a friend visiting from California. We took him out to lunch uh, because he was visiting for the weekend. And after, after service, we went out to lunch with him. And he began to share his story with me of what has transpired over the last year with tears, tears in his eyes and streaming down his cheeks. Because he said, Pastor Ray, your message helped me understand and put into perspective what has just transpired in my life over the last 12 months. 
And after he shared the story with me, I said, man, I've got to get this on video. And we tried to get it on video where we we're going to tag team it together. We couldn't do it. And I said, look, I need you to share your story with our church. And I just want you to share the cliff notes because it's going to help our church understand, several people understand why they are, where they are in this season of life. Because the first thing that God does if he's going to use us is he has to break you. Watch this. The reason I wanted to share uh, a Ron's story with you is simply this. When we're going through process, we often think it's because of everybody else. When sometimes God can move us from Dallas to California simply to deal with something in us. May I submit to you that his move from Dallas to California had very little to do with a job and more to do with breaking pride in him? Is it possible that you're stuck where you are and things aren't moving the way they should move because you haven't addressed the enemy in me? Is it possible that God is so committed to you that he's going to close doors until you come to a place of self-realization and say, the problem is me. The problem is my pride. Ain't nobody else. God moved him from Dallas to California so that he could confront himself. And when God takes us to process, the first test is often the pride test where we have to deal with ourselves. And nothing changed for Ron. And nothing moved for Ron until he acknowledged his own pride and self-centeredness. And that's why I said a few weeks ago, the question to ask when we're going through process is, who am I becoming? Because that's where God begins the process. He helps us look inward. But there's a second test. The first test is the pride test where God deals with us and has us confront our naivety and even our pride as Joseph was prideful. Here's the warning. If we don't deal with ourselves, the next thing happens, and that is the pit test. Because if you don't deal with your pride, you'll find yourself in a pit somewhere. And the pit is what happened when the enemy comes against the dream. Not everybody will celebrate your dream. Y'all got quiet on me in this Presbyterian church, but can I make it crystal clear? Sometimes the enemy is me, but sometimes the enemy is external. And the pit is what happens when the enemy comes against God's plan for your life. Not everybody is going to celebrate your dream. There are people in around you who see the hand of God on your life, and the first thing they'll do with your dream is dismiss it. Here come Ray again. Oh, here come Nia again. Oh, here come Wendy again. Oh, here come Jesse again. Here comes that dreamer. Isn't that what they said about Joseph? There are people who will hear your dream and their first response is just to dismiss it. Here come that dreamer again. That thing ain't going nowhere. Be careful. Be careful who you share your dream with. Because there are going to be people who will discourage you by dismissing your dream. Remember, I said this to you before. Your, who you are, 
Who you have become is a direct result of the voices you have chosen to trust over the course of your lifetime. I'll say that again. Who you are and what you have is a direct result of the voices you have chosen to trust over the course of your lifetime. And the problem with that is some of us have chosen to trust the wrong voices. The voices that have dismissed the dream. Uh, but, 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 but not only that, uh, uh, there are people who uh, dismiss the dream, but then there are people who do the next thing, which is very good, but I don't remember what it is now. It just escaped me. Oh, they will despise the dream. Thank you, baby. They will know that there's something to this dream, and they will hate you for dreaming that big. Because every time they hear your dream, it reminds them of how small they're living and how small they're dreaming. So there are going to be people in your circle that hear about your dream and they're going to dismiss it. Forget that. There are going to be people who hear it and despise you for dreaming that big. And they'll try to put you in a pit. And here's the third thing, people who try to destroy the dream. That's what Joseph's own brothers tried to do. In fact, this is what they do. They try to destroy you because they believe that if they can destroy you, the dream will die with you. And there's some people in this room recovering from what their own brothers. And when I say brothers, I'm not just talking about biological. I'm talking about people you've loved and trusted who tried to destroy you because they thought that by destroying you, the dream would die. I could tell you stories about us starting this church and people who tried to destroy us only because God put a dream in our heart to plant a church. I wish I could go down the road and tell you stories. I'd tell you stories and tell you stories and tell you stories of people who tried to destroy. Who tried to destroy me and my wife. I'm talking about church folk. I'm talking about church folk. And some of the greatest wounds my wife and I have experienced has not come from people who didn't know God. It was people who lifted their hands in worship. I'm talking to those who, who, who have a dream, but people you loved have tried to destroy the dream. Number three, when God takes us through a process, we have to pass the pride test, we have to pass the pit test. How do we respond when people come against the dream? But here's the third thing, there's the palace test. Because Joseph goes from the pit, he's sold into slavery by his own brothers, his own family, and they think if we can just get rid of Joseph, we'll get rid of the dream. But Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. And he goes to Potiphar's house, and in Potiphar's house, Joseph, in spite of everything he had been through, still gave his best. We can just go home on that one. Because what happens to most of us in this room is when life throws us a curveball, we hold back the best of who we are. And we stop doing what we used to do. We stop trusting, we stop loving, we stop serving, and we withhold the best part of who we are because of what somebody else did to us. And my wife and I call it the ex-boyfriend, ex ex-girlfriend syndrome. You make the new boyfriend pay for what the ex-boyfriend did. And that's the way most of us live. 
We withhold the best part of who we are. But in spite of everything that had happened to Joseph, when he found himself in Potiphar's house, he distinguished himself because he gave the best of who he was to fulfill somebody else's dream while his dream was on hold. That is a test that some of you in this room right now are experiencing because you're frustrated that your dream is on hold and all you have in your hand is somebody else's dream to build. He's like, well, Lord, what about me? You gave me this dream. I saw my brothers bow to me. I saw my mom and dad bow to me. What am I doing stuck in Egypt in Potiphar's house? But the scripture says that everything that happened in Potiphar's house, Joseph was the doer of it. In fact, Joseph did it with such excellence, with such diligence and detail that the scripture says Potiphar didn't look into anything that Joseph did. The palace test is can you steward well what belongs to someone else while your dream is on hold? Are y'all listening to me? I know God gave you a dream. <laughs> I know God gave you a vision. But are you willing to give the best of who you are? to build somebody else's dream. It is a test. It is a test that you will have to pass in order to get what is your own. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, if you're not faithful in what belongs to another man, how can God give you that which is your own? The test of whether God can give you what is your own is how faithful you are in what belongs to someone else. He takes us through process. I got ahead of myself. But in Psalm 105, verse 19, can you put that on the board? Psalm 105, verse 19. Let me tell you what was happening to Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream at 17. The dream didn't come to fruition until he was 30. So for 13 years, what was God doing? Notice Psalm 105, verse 19. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, what was God doing with Joseph for 13 years? The Lord was testing Joseph's character for 13 years until the time of the dream came to pass. God tested him. That word test is not the, the, the way we understand it, but the word test in the Hebrew means to refine. It means to separate and it means to purge. You know what God was doing in Joseph for 13 years? He was getting all the junk and funk out of him because God has a platform for you that you can't bring that temperament and that junk to. And God is saying, I am going to purge you. I am going to refine you so that when I bring you into your appointed place and your appointed season, you will be ready to handle and manage it. But you can't handle it with all that bitterness in your heart toward your brothers. You ain't ready for the, in fact, you ain't ready to be prime minister if you haven't learned to serve Potiphar. Is anybody listening to what I'm saying? God moved Ron Thomas from Dallas to California to break pride in him. It wasn't about the job. Because notice what he said. I didn't miss a bill. I didn't miss a beat or a biscuit. 
God took care of him. But while God was taking care of him, God said, I got to break the pride in you, bro. So that from now on, you will never, ever say again, it was my ability and my hand that did this. And for 13 years, God was testing. He was purging Joseph's character. Some of you are where you are because God has you in the palace test. Can you serve somebody else's dream? Most people just waiting around, do nothing. Come to church, fill their thumbs. Won't put their hand to nothing. And then say, Pastor Ray, can you pray that God will send me good help? How about you be good help to somebody? And that will become seed for your organization. God will never give you what is your own until you have been faithful in what belongs to another man. And a lot of people flunked in that test. Er day. I'm about to let y'all go. But there's also the purity test. The purity test. That happened in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife, Hodifer, listen, started putting moves on Joseph. Unsolicited, uninvited. This was his boss's wife throwing herself on him. Can I talk to the men for a second? One of the greatest seeds of self-sabotage is a man's inability to manage his physical appetites. For some people, we ain't got no issue serving somebody else's dream. For some men who self-sabotage the call of God and the plan of God for their life is they haven't learned to manage what I call their 3G network. Because most men will struggle with the girls, they will struggle with gold, or they will struggle with the glory. What's the girl? Self-explanatory. Potiphar start, wife start throwing herself at you. You don't even think twice about it. It's all good. Uh, the gold has to do with our, our desire to succeed. Where, where money drives your every decision. Everything you do is about the gold. More money, 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 more money. And what about the glory? We want the glory for ourselves. And that's why Zig Ziglar says most of us spend our lives climbing the ladder of success only to realize it's been leaning against the wrong building. Can you steward your own desires well? Your own body, keep it in check. Because that was a test. That was a test. On the road to fulfilling the dream, God tested his character. God had to purge some things out of him. That's what it means to refine. It means to purge. It also means to separate what is worthless from what is valuable. And sometimes God will put you in a situation where it will force you to evaluate what is valuable and what is worthless. He just wants you to get to a point in your life where you say, enough of the foolishness and the games. I'm too old for that nonsense. I wrote a message one time called Five Signs He's Still a Boy. It was for a singles conference. And I know all the women perked up their ears. Five signs he's still a boy. Number one, the games he plays. 
if you are a grown man still playing games, you are a boy. No, if you're a grown man still sneaking and doing stupid stuff, you are a boy. You're not a grown man. The purity test. I'm talking about self-sabotage. Nobody did it to you. You do it to yourself. And the Lord will put you in situations and places where your purity, your ability to steward your own body and your own desires. I'm talking about self-control. I'm talking about self-control. The scripture says a person, man or woman, with no self-control is like a city with no walls, open to attack. Means you're defenseless. Joseph went through that test. Y'all give me five minutes, let me wrap up. I'm trying to help you understand why you are where you are. God is taking you through a process. And these are tests that we must face along the way. Oh, yeah, Lord, here's one here. So anybody remember while Joseph was in the prison, what happened? What happened in the prison? Anybody remember? Man, what about Bible students? What happened in the prison? Okay, let me, let me help you all. Bible class. <laughs> oh, they're saying it. I'm not hearing it. Okay, my bad, my bad. Y'all doing good. Aid to everybody in Bible class. So Joseph goes to prison. What does Joseph go to do in prison? He's really mad. He bitter. It's like serving God. It don't work. And that's what most of us do. When you have a dream from God and your life looks nothing like the dream you saw, listen to me, that's Joseph's life for 13 years. God, I know what you showed me. And that's where a lot of people struggle. That's why a lot of people, that's why a lot of people throw the towel. Because most of us, like Ron's story, Ron said, I prayed. I know God told me to go back to California. How come I ain't got no job? And most of us would say somewhere in the middle, I missed God. When we find ourselves in the prison, we start to say, I didn't see that dream. That dream wasn't from God. When we go six, seven, eight months with no check, we start to say, nah, it wasn't the will of God for me to come to California. Yes, it was. Yes, it was the will of God, but he brought you to California, not for a job, but to break your pride. That's why most of us miss what God is doing. When the dream seems to be on hold, the question to ask is, who am I becoming? What are you doing in me? Because in the prison, notice what Joseph did. The scripture says, everything that happened in the prison, Joseph was the doer of it. So that the, the, the warden in the prison didn't have to look into anything that Joseph, you know what happened? Joseph's life steadily grew worse. It seemed like he was getting farther and farther from the dream. But even though his life didn't match the dream he saw, he continued to give his best. I'm talking to the people who have said, I will never love again. I will never trust again. I will never give that part of my life to you again. I will never do this for this person again. I will never do that again. You are withholding the best part of who you are, and it is a test. And God can't bring you into the fulfillment of your purpose with bitterness in your heart. It's called the prison test. It's called the prison test. You cannot sit on the throne with bitterness in your heart. He's got to get it out of you. He's got to refine you. He's got to purge you. It's called the prison test. What is the prison test? 
listen to me, when doing the right thing produces unintended consequences. Isn't that what happened to him and Potiphar's wife? I did the right thing. How come I ended up in jail? And there's some of us asking ourselves that question. Lord, I'm steadily doing the right thing. How come my life is just getting worse? Because it's one thing to be in Potiphar's house, but it's something totally different to find yourself in prison for doing what was right. I'm not talking about you're doing right and life is steadily getting better. I'm talking about when you're doing the right thing and your life is getting worse. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Okay. Baby, what we're going to do? How are we going to end this thing? Because I got to let him go. Cover it in prayer. Amen. I'll just read it. Thank you, baby. I'll just read these to you. Where are you in this continuum? Because God is testing. And I keep going back to this. I keep, the worst thing you can do to, your, to yourself is withhold what God has put in you to give to others. Listen, Joseph gave his best in the prison, and they put him in charge of the prison. He gave his best in Potiphar's house. They put him in charge of Potiphar's house. Not only that, when the two men needed their dreams to be interpreted, Joseph interpreted it for them, withheld nothing. Now listen, remember what Joseph said when he interpreted their dreams? What did Joseph say? He said, remember me. He says, I've done this kind deed for you by interpreting your dream. Remember me. And what did they do? They forgot him. When you read the story, it was two years. Listen to me. It wasn't because they remembered him because of the good he did. They only remembered him because they needed him again. I'm talking to people who are in unhealthy, toxic relationships around people who only talk to you, reach out to you when they need you. Because Joseph would have stayed in that prison if the butler hadn't needed him. I'm talking about real life stuff, and yes, you can start to play. I'm talking about real life stuff where the people you helped forgot about you. And God says, you got to stay there for a little bit because I need you to know what it feels like to be abandoned and rejected. I need you to, I need you to know what it feels like so that you can deal with it so that when you sit on the throne, you ain't going to bring that with you. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm going to let y'all go. Oh, the power test. When you are tested with authority. When your brothers who threw you in prison now come back to you with a need. And God has so transformed your life that they don't even recognize you. The very people you could hurt now need you. And God has done such a work in your heart where you could do anything you wanted to do to them, but you choose to show them mercy. That's how you know you've healed. The power test. 
The prosperity test is when God tests us with success. The pardon test is when we are confronted with unforgiveness and bitterness. But the last test that God wants us to take in this process is the purpose test. When our pain and God's promise and his purpose intersect. And this is where we'll close. Look at Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. How do you know that you're healed and you're whole? Is when you look over the 13 years of your life and you're talking to the people who threw you in the pit. I ain't talking about talking to strangers. When you're looking at the very people who want to go in and kill you and they say, well, we're not going to kill you. We'll just throw them in the pit and then we're going to sell them into slavery. When you come face to face with them, we want to give them a piece of our mind. How do you know you've healed? It's when you come face to face with those people and you understand it was God all along. That what they meant for evil, God was going to use for good. That's how you know you've, you've passed the purpose test. Look at verse 20, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. It says, but as for you, oh Lord, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this day, as it is to save many people alive. This is why I'm going to close. This is why I'm going to close. What they thought would be the end of Joseph was just God's way of getting Joseph from where he was to Egypt. They thought they were trying to destroy him. God says, I need somebody to get Joseph to Egypt. And in throwing him in the pit, they were fulfilling God's purpose all along, and they had no idea. Listen to me. There are some things that you're fighting against. There are some things that you're pushing against right now. And God says, they're just instruments in my hand to get you from where you are right now to where I need you to be. And as painful as it is, I'm going to use all of that to perfect you. I'm going to use your pain to grow you. I'm going to use your frustration to make you better. And I'm going to use people that you think are doing it for your evil, doing it uh, 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 evil against you. But it's all going to work out for my good. Because God has a plan, but then he takes us through a process so that we can receive the promise. But when, God, when we receive the promise and actually sit on the throne and our brothers kneel at us, what's the big picture? It is God's purpose. Because God was trying to bring Joseph to Egypt ahead of the famine so that he would help people in their time of need. What you're going through right now is so much bigger than just you. You think this is just about you? It's so much bigger than just you. It's about God's purpose for you. And so trust the process. He's refining you. He's purging you. He's separating what is valuable from what is worthless. And he wants you to leave everything that is worthless behind. So that when you sit on the throne, you can say they meant it for evil. 
but God meant it for good. Let me tell you, life is too short to live with grudges. Way too short. Way too short. And I wish I had more time to talk about Joseph. But today I think the Lord wants us to release those people. In fact, every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to pray. Father, today, right now in this moment, would you help us to help give us perspective? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at citychurchtv.com. If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.